0: Hey, everybody, this is Charles Hane. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of December 16th, 2021. I am filmmaker Charles Hane. I'm here with editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Edelman. Good morning or afternoon. Cinematographer Todd Blankenship. Hello. How are you? Filmmaker Kath Tolentino. Hello. And this year, we're going to be the first in your pile of year-end wrap-up episodes. We're going ahead of everybody else with the year in review 2021 to wrap, wrap, wrap up and first we're going to talk about the best media of the year then we're going to talk about the best industry behind the scenes type stories of the year which isn't even going to include tom cruise because all of those stories are from last year if you can believe it and then we're going to wrap it up with the best tech or tech news of the year this week on the no film school podcast All right, this week, we're going to kick off talking about the best sort of mediated content of the year, especially because what's really interesting is we're now in a place where almost everything we consume is pandemic-created. Like, if I was going stri- to stick with just movies for the year, all of the top of my list, like Belfast and Licorice Pizza, all shot during the pandemic already. So we're now in the place where everything we're consuming was created after. Except for like maybe Bond is like the last of the like we were dragging our feet on releasing we were made before. So yeah, guys, what is And th- Dune? And and Dune, which I I, I didn't love.
1: Mm. <gasps> Should we just make this whole podcast about <laughs> Dune now? <laughs> but you like the last Jedi?
2: Okay, sorry. We'll talk
1: about this. <laughs> I don't I don't
3: <laughs> that's a stretch in terms of connection, but I'll take it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I, I, still, I still love Charles and I feel like we see eye to eye on like 99% of things. So this all surprises me. It's just two things we don't see eye to eye on
0: in the world. I felt like it was really static and too faithful to the source book. Every time I've gotten in, I'm like, you know, whatever Christmas parties I've been to my not loving Dune and to be clear, I love uh, Denny Villeneuve. I love his recent like, movies. I Even like Blade Runner 2049, which I was surprised to find people didn't like. I love that. I think you know, and the cinematography is beautiful and, you know, there's, like, so much strength, but I felt like it was too every criticism I've made at a Christmas party about not liking Dune, people are like, no, but that's how it was in the book. And I was like, okay, well, maybe then make it better in the movie? Mm. Like, you know, like the introduction of, like, um, Dakota Potato, where he's, like, just, like, getting out of a ship and they're just, like, talking by his ship while he, like, cleans up his ship. I was like, well, that's so static as a character introduction. Like, can we have, like, a good character introduction, like when Han Solo shoots Greedo in the original Star Wars, and you're (laughs) like, oh, I now feel like I know about this character based on their action. The only thing I learn in that, like, the Kona Fanning introduction is, oh, this character, like, cleans his ship after he docks it. And that was it. And he was supposed to be, like, the ultimate fighter. And then he finally has an ultimate fighter scene, and then he dies. But And then he's, like, spending all this... (laughs)
3: Charles, that's how it was in the book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and this is what keeps coming up for me. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I feel like when you adapt a book to a movie, you're supposed to polish it. And like, you know, there's some people out there who are like, oh, well, Star Wars is just George Lucas doing Dune in a movie form. And I'm like, well, great, because the original Star Wars rules. And like, if Han Solo is just Duncan Potato, but given a real cool character introduction, that's great. Give me a good character introduction. That's cinema. Like, that is like a fundamental and like I felt like there was all this weird slop. Like, what's his face? Duke Lido was like, "You can't, you can't go on adventuring with Duncan Town because I need you in these meetings." And then he doesn't go to any meetings until they get to Arrakis later. And you know, so I like, could is that deliberately I, sloppy? What's
2: going I, on? I'm no, so because, Yeah, I think I, you know, I Jason Hellerman had similar complaints. Yeah, because he's a screenwriter, he cares about like actually. Well, I think it makes sense. I, I think it's because he didn't read it, and I do think that. You know, the saying, but that's how it was in the book thing, is that like this is a one of those really difficult needles to thread where the book is so sacred to the readers. I remember the first time I saw it, I was really into it, but I was also thinking a lot of the time, like, man, if I hadn't read this, I don't know if I would be down. Like it just because it is not really a story that's unfolding the way a movie does. But I enjoyed the world-building aspect. But I think we should probably save the Dune cast if there ever needs to be one for another day, since there's other things uh, to wrap up.
1: Speaking of, like, on the topic of 2021 adaptations from books, did anyone see The Green Knight?
2: Yeah, I did.
1: So I had to read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in high school and just remember actively hating it and, like, questioning why anyone still reads this book at all because it was so boring and stupid. And this movie was great. I was like, wow. I thought
3: thought you were going to like, and and how they made a movie that matched how boring and
2: stupid. (laughs) I thought that's where you were going. Uh, You know, Gawain and the Green Knight. I wrote, so I wrote, I think about 6,000 words on each of these movies for No Film School this year. If you want to read some long (laughs) posts. The Gawain and the Green Knight one, I've read it a lot. I was a big comparative mythology student in my day. And so I like Campbell stuff and all that business is my wheelhouse. And so when I saw the movie, I was like, Oh, this is fascinating. The way it diverges from the original, but also the way it's, it's close Mm -hmm. to it. So I wrote a big long thing, partly because I knew that a lot of people were going to walk out of the theater, scratching their heads. Like what the hell did I just see? And what is this based on And What the hell is the book? And the amazing thing about the green Knight* to me is that we don't honestly, truly know because it's such an old text from a dark age that it's so codified in the metaphor of the. We know it made sense to the people at the time, but it's very hard mm-hmm. for us to backwards engineer it to say, like, well, what does that all mean? And I think he, they did a beautiful job with it. But again, you had to kind of be along for the ride in that instance. Like, okay, like, so I'm going to. There's going to be some serious departure from typical movie logic yeah. here. But yeah, I thought it was beautiful. The sound. In both Dune and The Green Knight, was phenomenal the sound design. I thought
1: best best sound of twenty twenty one. This is our recap.
3: Yeah one one I, thing that I I kind of learned from The Green Knight and and you know I, I know we keep bringing it up and I don't want to get Charles upset or anything but Dune as well.
0: <laughs> I are, For, are you kidding me? I love nothing more than talking in detail <laughs> I'm, about why I'm, I'm didn't just like kidding. Something. Yeah, that um, is- <laughs> <laughs> but
3: one thing that I'm I'm learning is that like I'm a particular fan and I'm. So to me, there's like a whole genre that I'm realizing. Like, I just always love these kind of movies. I call them like fever dream movies, where it's like mm. you just sit in the theater and you're kind of just like, like you have this like sort of I don't know ominous feeling the entire time. But you're like watching a singular character's like journey, I guess. But it's like it it's like a a hellish journey of awfulness. And you kind of like you feel like you're transported to that world or whatever. For me, The Green Knight is like the quintessential fever dream movie. Like the whole thing just feels like you like
2: you could have dreamed it.
3: Yeah, yeah, like you you accidentally drink too much like cough syrup and like took a really weird nap. Like it's, <laughs> it's one of those kind of movies to me. Some of other examples are like you know for me The Revenant. I don't know why, but like I particularly love the hell out of that movie more than almost anyone else I know. I've seen it probably 15 times. I've read the book like. Whoa. Probably three times, you know. It's just like I love that kind of like feeling of just being like.
0: Wait a minute, uh, there's a book for the revenant.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's
1: a real guy. <laughs> based on yeah, a
0: movie, yeah. Hugh Glass, yeah. No, uh,
1: ba- a real guy.
0: Oh wow, dang. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, uh, I knew it was based on a true story, but I didn't realize. I thought the screenplay differed quite a bit from the original it does. story.
3: It does. It okay. does. They changed some of the lore, and I think they make it a little justifiably so more. Um. More friendly to to the Native Americans, but it's it's still they're both really well done. But I think that fever dream thing is just like one of my favorites. Like I love I love when you can just sort of like I don't know you just get that weird like trans transportation to like the worst day of someone else's life <laughs> or something. I
2: don't know. You know, Charles brought up at the top of the segment that we were talking about the context of. Everything this year being kind of like partial pandemic production or post-production. And I do know, having talked to the Green Knight cinematographer and the Dune cinematographer and editor, that they both talked about kind of coming back after not doing anything for a while and being able to reassess and make changes. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of every movie this year. That it was that it was part of the it was baked into the process, like reshoots and pickups that were done once production completely changes, you know, at Belfast, which I know Charles loves. We got to have Kenneth Branagh come on and talk about it. And that to me was one of the things he was like, you know, everything changes at one point. You know, he wrote it during the mm. pandemic, too. So like it I think it informed everything this year in a in an interesting way. It's, it's a really unique year in content. I guess that's what we need to say, now, right?
0: Yeah. So yeah. what are the things that other than Belfast, which we've talked about a little bit on the podcast, like the thing that I would throw out that nobody seems to be talking about, but like season two of The Great came out this year. And like, I thought it was magnificent. And like, I'm in general, a pretty big fan of The Great. I really liked season one. I think it's totally worth watching. But I mean, that was the thing that really, like, I felt most like being like, Oh, guys, everybody, this is the thing obviously getting to see movies in theaters again has been really magnificent. Like I saw Licorice pizza in a movie theater and it would have felt like sacrilege not to try mm. and see that in a movie theater. Cause it was so, so jealous. A, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I want to bring that one. It's I really wanted good. to bring that one up too. We're going to hold our content on that for a couple of weeks till everybody gets a chance, but yeah, it's very much a good theater experience. Another example of just excellent world building, even though it's just a movie about the Valley in the seventies, like, that just like Green Knight, I really feel like the theme of the year for me in quality was was world building. Dune, Green Knight, Licorice Pizza, and my favorite actually this year was Nightmare Alley, which is coming out on December seventeenth. All around to see the that, one. Yeah. that, I gotta say, like I love noir. I love old movies. It's based on an extremely dark noir book, which was adapted to a nineteen forty seven movie with Tyrone Power, which softens the blow a little bit because studio moguls and this is guillermo del toro so the blow isn't softened it's like harsher and it's as dark and as uh, creepy and excellent and noirish and i thought it was just a horrifying pleasure to watch so i encourage everyone to go see it it was great but there's so this was a great year i i mean and i'm a really negative person and I was, I, I enjoyed so much. I'm, I'm serious. Like I was really amazed and maybe part of it was, I was just happy to be seeing movies again.
0: Now was Nightmare Alley, a pandemic production.
2: It was right. Yeah. It was impacted again. Like it was, I think partial. And then it was, a, you know, it's funny. It was big year for Bradley Cooper because he was amazing in Linkerish Pizza too, even though it's a brief role and Nightmare Alley. He just, Crushes, yeah. I I really can't say enough. Also, wrote a long thing about that, but I can't say enough about how much I liked it. They did. I've never seen anybody do noir in color as effectively, without and and on an Alexa. So you would think you've got to shoot film, and you want to be black and white to really capture that essence. And they were like, no, it's going to be color. We're going to go after like the painterly look of the era, and we're going to do it in such a way that that still feels like like the noir style like chiaroscuro chiaroscuro and all the other stuff and it works it's amazing i'm
3: i was really glad to hear that it's really stoked to hear like the positive reviews about it when i first saw the trailer kind of speaking of the color and also i just i just heard that there is somewhere in the ether a black and white version of the film which i think i would be pretty keen to see but i the one thing i will say is when i saw the trailers the the color correction like the the grade that they were doing on it didn't really intrigue me as much. I was kind of like, oh, it, it, what was that last movie? The one about the fish man? Shape of Water? Yeah, it kind the of, col- the color palette just looked almost exactly like that to me. And I was just like, oh man, he's just doing another with that same sort of look. But then it's it sounds like it it plays into the story well enough that it, it won't be like annoying or whatever. I'm just, I think I'm just getting a little fatigued by that particular
0: color palette. I mean, I I also think it's one of those things of like, I mean, Guillermo del Toro is probably someone with enough power to get away with whatever they want, but like, there is notoriously pushback from distributors on distributing black and white movies. Parasite, there's a black and white version that was released in theaters like four or five months after the color version. I saw the I black and white no version idea. in theater. Oh, yeah. When there no, was the, like
3: a, the Mad Max, whatever or, it was, Blood, Blood and Chrome version, whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, and then there's the Coen Brothers movie, The Man Who Wasn't There. Which was released mm. in black and white in North America, but then Beautiful. all of a lot of the international distributors refused to release it in black and white at all. So it was released in color in Europe and black and white in the States. Cause Cohen I think distributors were like, well, Cohen Brothers fans are nerds enough to see this even though it's in black and white. So we know y'all are nerds. But I think there's a especially if you're trying to do a big tent pole. Guillermo del Toro movie, I think there was probably pushback, so it's really interesting to already be hearing, even before the color version is out, that, the, oh, there's also a black and white, and it makes me think that there will probably be a black and white release. <laughs> I uh, want to geek out more later about, later
2: especially talking tech and color and all this with you guys, and co- and grading, because I want to, uh, that shape of, I know what you mean about the shape of watercolor palette. If it had been, it's similar. If it had been that, though, I think I would have also kind of found it. There is a lot of color and bright color for a noir that pops. And the way that's utilized along with shadow, and it, it's, it's just really clever and really well thought out, I thought, um, in terms well, of yeah. creating that Depression-era look that we're familiar with, but not going right to black and white. I don't think I would have wanted it in black and white, which is crazy because I'm the kind of guy who says like, who is like, I mean, Belfast, he used black and white brilliantly. He used color and black and white together in a way that just is super effective. And uh, Licorice Pizza, they used celluloid in a way that's beautiful and effective. And, and it, But but to see a movie that's like, no, this takes place in 1946 or earlier actually, and it's it's going to be shot on an Alexa and it's going to be in color and you're going to buy the period. Like that to me is very impressive. It takes a lot I think to, for me to be on board with that and I and there was a lot of digital they replaced the skies a lot to do some things that I think were also really effective and interesting looking. You can do so much with like just framing, you know, like like how you frame your shots and figures in space evoke certain feelings. It doesn't just have to be light and color. So I really was impressed.
3: Nice. I'm I'm really excited to hear that. Um, I too am a huge fan of of noir, and and a you know I I'm happy to see uh, what Del Toro does with with the genre, for sure. Yeah. Another GDT. another good movie from the year. Which going back to world building was to me Pig was a great great example of world building. I don't know if y'all liked the movie or not. Yeah. But I I thought it was like <laughs> it, like such an interesting concept to like create this underground restaurant world where they're like killing over ingredients and stuff, which I don't know how, how real that is, but I hope it's not very real.
2: It was really cool. I agree that they did that, but I would say again, world building in the sense that you come into that movie with no knowledge and they parse it out to you piece by piece and you're picking it up as you go, which is a great way to tell a story. Like without overloading you with exposition, you were really watching things unfold and picking up clues as to who he is, as to what the journey is going to be. And I think
0: that that's an underutilized tactic. Kath, what are your favorite things of the year?
1: Honestly, I don't know. I feel like I haven't seen a lot, but mainly because everything that I see previews for. I'm just, I'm not really that interested in. And I feel like maybe I'm not just not seeing, maybe I'm like not getting exposure to the right movies. I, I feel like I'm waiting for a change in what we're seeing in theaters and TV. And we were just talking about this before we started the podcast, but like, you know, I've been watching Succession, haven't seen the finale yet. So you guys won't spoil it for me, but I just felt like, okay, this, this, this show is great, but feels kind of like something I've seen before. It feels like It's getting into, like, West Wing all over again, just, like, people quipping really quickly. I've seen the previews for Licorice Pizza, and I'm like, this is just another Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And I'm, like, not totally sold on it. Maybe you guys can convince me otherwise, but...
3: I I completely get where you're coming from. For me, the year 2021 will, in my mind, kind of just be the year of, like, apathy. Like, I was... Everything, I've just been kind of, like, Yeah, I mean that looks fine. That looks like a good movie. Yeah. That
1: looks like a movie, you know?
3: And the other thing too that's really frustrating for me is like I think I think the industry is in kind of liminal space right now. We're in transition because there's this weird thing. I don't know if you guys experienced this, but it's and it's like on a visceral level, it's pissing me off. (laughs) I don't know what is good anymore. It's like (laughs) Yes. I don't
1: exactly how I've been feeling too. Yes. I
3: get on I get on on Amazon Prime, and I'm like, oh look, there's a movie with I don't know, like an actual star, like a movie star, <laughs> and I've never heard of it. I don't right. know what it is. And oh it's yeah, like, I am. I am like, I I consume film content. It's like a thing in my life, and we I don't know write what this for a is.
0: Platform about film content. Exactly. So we get like all of the press releases and the buzz we should hear. I, I, I watched Charles
2: Charles in the past has commented on this. Phenomenon and its development in that this, there is no monoculture anymore. Uh-huh. And if you think about the world I grew up in, at least as a child, a lot of the daily routine and schedule was dictated, weirdly enough, was fitted around like a TV schedule. Like, what was on when? Because it was only on once. Like, what shows were you watching with your family oh, yeah. at Right. 8 PM? Oh, yeah. You know, when you sit down and watch, like, a run of four shows or something. And what yeah, did you watch? Be, you right? didn't even need You didn't need a clock. You knew what right. time it was. Monday was the best nights. Right. There
1: was like and you multiple. knew.
2: And, and also, like, when you got home from school, there are certain th- Like, the world mm-hmm. was on a certain clock. There is no uniting clock. There is just stuff everywhere. Starring I just watched, everybody. I just Everyone's like, fingertips.
1: <laughs> a full feature film on Apple TV with Tom Hanks. It, like, it was like cast away, but with robots. And <laughs> I'm not to a single person about it because I'm like, okay. Like, it was like a really well-made movie. I don't yeah. think anyone else is watching this movie. I don't no, know. <laughs> you,
2: you have really s- tapped into the aspect. We're talking here about our favorite things, but you've tapped into the, the, the thing that faces the filmmakers. This is the big problem. How do you cut through the noise? What does it take to rise above the din of everything? Like if Tom Hanks is starring on a movie in a movie that is available that a lot of people haven't heard of, what the hell are the rest of us
1: supposed to Right. Be? That's exactly what I was thinking. Like this kind of movie would have been Oscar worthy 20 years ago. It was like, you know, you think about Castaway and Forrest Gump. And this is a movie that's sort of like a combination of the two. Maybe it's not very Forrest Gump, <laughs> but no, but no one's talking about it, isn't that? Well, and so it,
3: it's it's like also, I mean, the I, I don't know how you guys previously, before whatever I'm, we're calling this era, like how you guys selected movies to watch, but it's like I used to watch movies that weren't that good, and I used to, <laughs> it, but it's like now i If I do watch a movie it's because i've heard it's it's amazing yeah and like wh- one of my favorite kinds of movies like is movies that are just like pretty okay. I don't know why, but I love like just kind of chill in their little element movies like I love those kind of movies, and you can't find them anymore like i love I used to love that feeling of like when you would when you would watch something you'd just be scrolling through Netflix and you'd be like, oh look, there's you know Lake Bell and some other person." Something, I'm just gonna watch it real quick because I'm bored. Like, I don't do that anymore. Now I'm just like, I'll just head over to like YouTube or something and like learn how to convert a John boat into a fishing boat. Like, it's like, it's like, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't, Watch I don't a guy know, build
2: a pool. Yeah. A.m. Like,
3: like, I don't know this weird zone of like, it, I,
0: I, it's such a flood I, of like things. I have so many like,
2: things I want
3: to say,
1: but I want
2: Charles <laughs> to jump in. Cause he had something well, he was going to say.
0: Yeah. I mean, so the thought I had about this is that, like, it's one of the, you know, if you grew up during monoculture, which like the signal for me for monoculture is less about TV than it is about movies that like, there was always only one or two indie films that you had to feel like you had seen to feel like you were caught up. Like, yeah. you have to see Fargo, then the next year you had to see Spotting. And like, if you had seen Fargo, Spotting, and Clerks, you were like in touch with what was going on in uh-huh. indie theatrical releases in 1995, mm-hmm. 1996, when I was in mm-hmm. high school. But like, and, and word of mouth had more time and more power to spread. So like, you know, as someone who went to two or three movies a week for most of my 20s, it was relatively easy to have my finger on the pulse But now there's so many good indie movies and so many different voices that it really has changed. When I think about it, it gives me a a feeling called the howling fontods, which is a a term from Infinite Jest, where it's just like that uncomfortable feeling where you become simultaneously aware of just how many things are out there that are like maybe interesting and potentially rewarding emotional experiences. Like I still haven't read fucking Dostoevsky and everyone I know who's finished reading Dostoevsky is like, oh. It's amazing. It's life changing. And I'm like, yeah, that's on my fucking list. I will get to war and peace at some point. But like when That's Tolstoy. You know, Sorry. Tolstoy. <laughs> exactly. I'm like criminally Yeah. I'm yeah. criminally unaware of the great Russian literature of the nineteenth century, which will apparently change my life.
1: And Is like it still canon, tough to say.
2: I've been trying to get to war and peace for a long time. Dostoevsky didn't do it for me. But anyway, let's keep going.
0: I tried to race someone through Anna Karenina once and neither of us <laughs> made it very far. But
1: um, you've read Infinite Jest, so that's something. That's good. This
0: is true. But I did a long ass related story as to why I read Infinite Jest. <laughs> <and> but anyway, <laughs> there's that feeling of like, and, and we're making so much more all the time, and there's all this stuff. And like, what's the point of making anything yourself? And the thing I always calm myself down with when I get these howling fantods is this amazing little statistic about Gangnam Style, which is <laughs> human beings <laughs> have spent more time watching Gangnam Style than. We have spent writing all of Wikipedia. If you look at all the time spent <laughs> writing Wikipedia, it is less than the playtime of Gangnam Style. So we are simple is, beasts. You know, well, no, but it's also like, we, you know, no matter how much time we all spend now creating stuff, there's still more time spent consuming stuff. Right. Like, you know, it is still worth it to make things because if you really believe it's good and you really believe you have something to say and you want to share it with the world. It might not stand a chance of breaking out and becoming part of the zeitgeist. It might not become something that people are still talking about in a hundred years. But how many films from a hundred years ago are we still talking about anyway? Very and, few. Very few. You know. Yeah. And you know, it might not be Gangnam Style, but humanity as a whole is still interested in consuming stuff. And that, for some reason, that statistic is the one that calms me down when I get in the like. Well, what's the point of still doing anything, Howling Fantods?
2: That just reminds me of like one of my most important filmmaker lessons for me personally in my life. I don't know that it will translate for anybody else, but it just reminds me of it. I always told myself that all I wanted out of it when I was working really hard and trying to build up to getting to make a feature and making an indie feature that I wrote that was like really a passion and like getting it out there and going to festivals. And I always told myself what I really wanted was to just experience people enjoying it like strangers, to know that they were entertained and they were laughing and they enjoyed it. And that was all, I told myself, that was the goal, right? That was it. Because I didn't think anything else could necessarily be within my power or achievable. And that happened. And I still felt relatively empty. Oh, (laughs) man. And I realized in that moment, kind of, I mean, I realized a lot of things and went through a lot of transformations. But what I started to realize was that was not true what I was telling myself. And I needed to figure something else out because I had it. Like I had it. I sat in a few audiences at a few festivals and people laughed and I heard people say they loved it. And I had strangers come up to me occasionally and say like, I really loved your film. And like, I was like, Hmm, I think I was chasing something else because this isn't it. I think I was chasing Mm. fame or money or something like, but when I got that thing, you know, maybe I wanted, maybe I wanted more, maybe adulation isn't, it's just chasing a ghost. I don't know. But it was a lesson for me. And I think when Charles, you bring up this idea of why do we do it? It's really hard to get people to see your stuff or to do it. You have to, given the crowdedness of the space and given the the amount of content, I do think we need to, as creatives, find a reason that is unrelated to the results and the the life of the results we need to find a motivation and 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 something in it because otherwise because that's a really that's a tough thing to chase
3: Uh really Mm. yeah these are all things that are constantly on my mind these days is like at some point you realize like the only time that you're truly like in the zone and like in the pocket and creating and like you're enjoying what you're doing and like when you go to bed and you're feeling like, okay, I can sign my name to this day. Like I did what I, what I set out to do. It's when you're like not thinking about that stuff. Like it's when you're just like creating as a means of self-expression and it's, it has no tie to like the more, I don't know, societal aspects of it. And it's like really, really hard to stay in that zone, you know, especially, especially now. Cause it, it's, it's like everything you do, someone else has done it before in some shape or fashion. And it's like you have to get to a place where you're like, that's okay. That's okay. And like, yeah, I might make like, I might spend three years of my life making a movie that the only people who watch it are like stoned people scrolling through Netflix and they accidentally hit, hit that thumbnail instead of like, I don't know, trying to watch some Marvel movie. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't know. it's But but you have to be okay with that, I think. it's It's just a part of it now.
1: I love how our best of 2021 podcast has just
3: evolved. Dune, back to why Dune was phenomenal. Let's talk about the that. The
2: darkness out. of, can I also just throw out that I think when you say, I don't know how, when things are good, I think the whole scale has shifted. And I, I actually think, and like Kathy brought up like licorice pizza, just looks like, eh. and I think that to me, I've kind of tried to accept things on their own terms a little bit more and accept that maybe I don't, like they're not for me or it's not like, I like Licorice Pizza connected with me in a lot of ways. And I also think of it as a movie that is like closer to what Todd described as like movies that just kind of do their own thing in their own little space and like stay in their lane. Like, I don't think it was about anything mind blowing. I just think it like executed its game plan well. And it was a, it was a noble effort. You know, I, I it didn't like, it wasn't like Citizen Kane, you know, it, it, it didn't rise to some level. And I think just like accepting art on arts terms sort of in each situation. And I similarly felt like at some point in Succession, which I love, at some point in this season with Succession, I thought, I think I'm, I think I'm good. Like, I think I get right. it and I think That's I've right. got oh. it. Like, I think I can step away. Like, but- I'd still watch it because I'm sure it's still very funny and very entertaining. But there was a part of me that was like, there's other stuff for me to see and do. And I think I know the, the 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 bit here.
1: But this conversation is making me realize, like, I don't know if I am lamenting the lack of a Citizen Kane or <laughs> the lack of an ability to ever create or see another Citizen Kane because of how flooded the market is. And I think that's what I'm like, I think I have this question, like, is it that there's no genius among us or is it that? There's plenty of genius among us, but we're just so blind because or just so overloaded that we cannot. That's that's why I think my
3: my theory is it's just we're in a transition phase. Like the the geniuses are still very much out there. It's just the delivery system is going to have to change. And it's like I don't know what that looks like, but I have like a ton of foil hat thoughts on where this could all lead. (laughs) <laughs> but it it is like it is like to me film it not in a dire way not in any sort of like woe is me my favorite thing in the world is dying sort of way i think it's just going to change and it might yeah. take it might take 10 years it might take 15 years but like we we all saw what can happen in a very short period of time if you can't go to the theater and we we all saw like those sorts of things like they're all a little signposts along the road to like, I just definitely think like somehow the film industry is going to look insanely different. And I think it like on the the positive side of things, I definitely think it will lead to more people being able to make films, but I do think it's going to lead to less and less and less of the citizen canes. It's already, it already has. Like, wh- I think that's why like something when, when something like Dune comes out or, or even even licorice pizza it's like i kind of miss that that feeling of watching something that feels like a singular vision like like you know when you're seeing licorice pizza that's that's coming straight out of PTA's brain there's no studio mm. notes there's no you're watching someone express themselves creatively i would make the same argument about dune as well not to keep bringing that up but i think it's just like i feel like more and more and more the money is going to be spread and and you are going to have people making feature f- films fully in Unreal Engine in their in their attic. You know what I mean? Like I, I just think it, it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird for a while, and there is going to be so many movies, and it's going to it's going to come out in like different waves. I think, but I think storytelling isn't isn't going anywhere, and there still are so many genius artists out there that are going to use whatever medium they can.
1: Well, I think in the same way that George has brought up, like artists needing to reconnect with that reason for making their work because the market is so flooded i also feel like as a viewer i need to reconnect with why i'm watching anything to begin with because like my reasons for tuning in have changed and my my reasons for choosing certain movies or shows to watch have changed and like my favorite movie of 2021 is a 1995 Jane Austen film that I am just like watching on repeat because it gives me joy. You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> I, I, look through, I look through Netflix. I look through Hulu. I look through at my boyfriend. and I Every single night, we're like, what do we watch? It ends up taking an hour to decide. And then we just pick a classic because we can't, we don't have the energy to discern between all the new options, right? So I, I watch movies now to give, me, to give myself comfort to reconnect with something that I love, you know, I want to expand my mind and then I'll turn to criterion collection, but I'm not going to turn to like most of the stuff that most of the like Apple or Hulu or Netflix originals, you know what I mean? I don't know. For sure.
0: I mean, for me, I also think that part of this has to do with the times we're living in. Like it's much harder for me to relate to like, movies in a world where, like, democracy is eroding all around us and hurricanes are reaching epic proportions and, you know, all tornadoes. of New York City flooded. And torna- sorry, tornadoes. Uh, our hurricanes are also getting worse, too, but you're right, more recently, tornadoes. <laughs> Both. That is actually, no, that, that's totally what I meant to say, but, like, Hurricane Ida flooding New York. And so it's like, my thoughts about Santa Maria are different. Also, I hate to say it, guys, but I, I know that, Kath, I think you're a little younger than the rest of us, but I think some of this is also just the nature of being middle-aged. Like in Kathy, you might not have reached that thing, but like, seriously, like I have undergrad students. I, I still Todd's teach Todd's not middle-aged college. yet. Is I just, tried? I just, I just seem like it. Well, no, you got a, you have a five-year-old daughter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 30, 30, daughter, you're
3: your five-year-old
0: daughter? I'm 32. Todd no. and I are not middle-aged. Yeah. Once you have a, five, you have a five-year-old, young. you're middle-aged, Todd, no matter what. <laughs> no, no, real it's talk.
3: It, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been middle-aged since I was like probably 15. It's just, it's just how I am.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's why I always felt so close to you.
0: <laughs> I talk to 18-year-olds once a week that have these emotional connections with some of these new movies where like, you know, I remember some movies that came out between like 15 and 23, 24 that like felt like they had deep, real emotional meaning and were groundbreaking to me because I was at an age where like that was what my relationship to cinema was. I still yeah. love cinema just as much, but I think that when we're, growing through that period of figuring out who we are in the world and what we want the world to look like. And we can have these like profound motherfucking experiences where yes. we're like, Oh my fucking Christ. Charles, um, swings I, fire.
2: I, I think you hit the nail on the head, honestly, because I, and I actually, I feel bad if a lot of our listeners are like, what are these, these old guys <laughs> meeting George and Charles complaining about like, and maybe, and Todd old, beyond his years but like <laughs> what like like because maybe they they are feeling because you know what I rem- when you said that Charles I was like and you talked about the movies of the mid-90s when I saw Boogie Nights in the theater in 1997 I was 16 Holy or 17 shit. or whatever I was like I just saw the face of God on film like I was like I just saw what makes a movie like and why I want to make movies and what I love about like I was in love with it it blew my mind and I can imagine. I remember telling my film studies professor about it, and he was like, "Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting little film." And this was a guy who like, worshipped at the at the altar of Godard and Truffaut, and was like, "That's what he taught." But to him, I was like, "That's it? It's exciting? Are you kidding? It's perfect." But to him, it was probably like, "Yeah, they did Goodfellas in porn. Like, great, good job." <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah. like, like, but but. So and I, can record, see that. I
0: thought you said Goodfellas in corn, and I would really <laughs> like to see Goodfellas in corn. <laughs> In the cornfields on the plane. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah, it's relative. It's about where you are in your life. And, and they, to them, like the good news for everybody out there and for us too, and for all of us, is that you, it might be harder to be the Citizen Kane today, but Citizen Kane didn't go so well for Orson Welles. And it is actually easier to find your audience, which probably would have benefited Orson Welles much better to have found his YouTube channel and his followers. And just click like to yes. subscribe, like and subscribe. And he could have continued to succeed and connect with his people. Whereas what happened to him was that was rather tragic after that one shot, you know? Like so finding your audience and not having all the gatekeepers and not having monoculture is a great way to be an active creator and and be prolific in it. And and you can do it all by yourself. Like, you know.
0: So well, I, also, I mean, I let's not forget. The, the, the example we keep giving of the peak of monoculture, which like I do love Citizen Kane, I think it's a very good movie. I've taught it a whole <laughs> bunch. I've seen it like dozens of times. Was an accident that they snuck out. Like there was no system for making good movies then. Yeah. Good movies right. were made by like, or like that great Mel Brooks quote that went around Twitter recently where he was like, oh, I made Blazing Saddles by every time yeah. I had a Yeah, I would have a <laughs> studio meeting and I would sit down and they would say, do this. And I would say, okay, I'll do it. And then I just knew that they were never going to check and I did whatever <laughs> I wanted. That's and big. it's like, yeah, just, just keep saying yes to notes and then don't do them if you think they're dumb. Yes. And it's like, that's how Blazing Saddles came. Like, And so it's like, but we actually have a system right now where because distributors know, all right, there's a bunch of these nerds that are going to go see every PTA movie in the theater. Like, I saw Licorice Pizza in a full theater. I saw yeah. Paris Dispatch in a full theater. We do have to talk about the brilliance of The New Yorker declaring the Paris Dispatch the best movie of the year. Yeah, that was, like, was hilarious. It's like such a great hour on the internet because it me. But yeah, I mean, I th- like there's a there's like a system in place for movies like people would like to make good movies <laughs> and, and yeah. like there's systems <laughs> for trying to do it. Like Moonlight there are made, and- not by sneaking around, but be- because people are like, no, Moonlight's good. We should make this movie because it's good. You know, whatever Todd's version of that is
2: with his tinfoil hat, we should have a segment called Todd's tinfoil hat corner every week i'm ready i'm ready for that but whatever that is there are there are people out there who would be into it just like whatever kath's story that that like inspires her is like there are people we know that that's what the internet has blessed us with like there are people like us everywhere so you can find them like and and you can have a direct line (laughs) there may not be a lot of them but there may be sustainability in serving them content they enjoy and we don't all have to tune into the same channel at 8pm every night to find the one thing we can all kind of agree on is good enough for most of us. <laughs> like, and that so that's a blessing in a way.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing is very, very clear is like good content just always ha- has a way of finding its audience.
0: And that that's just never going to change. All right. So with that, in top. Business news story of the week, IATSE almost struck in top tech of the year. The MacBook Pro is really powerful. Uh, Anybody want to plug their pluggables?
1: Yeah. This this, this, this is the end, (laughs) you guys. The end of 2021.
0: I mean, we let the first topic go a little long, so I feel (laughs) (laughs) like... I mean, it became a wrap up on the
2: year and what the future is for filmmakers. It became a, I mean, it, kind it of became a, beautiful a much bigger wrap
0: up than just the year. It became a wrap up on like the approach to why make movies. Why make mm. movies?
2: Mm. Yeah, that's the title of the
0: episode. It's going to be okay, know? everybody.
3: It's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. we'll make it Gangnam through. Gangnam Style. <laughs> 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 Actually, Charles, I, I need you to know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember that forever. <laughs> so thank yeah. you.
2: <laughs> this is Charles a, went from Infinite Jest to Tolstoy to Gangnam Style in one phrase. In the yeah, stats on sure. Gangnam Style, in like one like turn of
0: phrase, it was pretty like, whoa, impressive. We're all over impressive. The map here. I do what I can. Uh, all right, I'm Charles <laughs> Hane. I'm a filmmaker. I'm making new stuff in 2022. I'm really psyched about it. So I'm not even going to plug any of the past because I'm all about the future.
1: Love that. I'm Catherine Tolentino, a filmmaker. You can see my work at CatherineTolentino.com. And yes, more great movies to come from me.
3: I'm Todd Blankenship. You can find me on YouTube and Instagram at Am I a Filmmaker? And I'm about to be putting lots of, lots of stuff
2: on there, especially, especially in the new year. And I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. Thank you all so much for listening to this podcast this year. It is a pleasure to do it. We all enjoy it. We all enjoy hearing from all of you. So be sure to email us your questions and comments at editor at nofilmschool.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter instagram youtube go to our website nofilmschool.com and yeah keep listening great like subscribe leave comments it helps us get to more listeners on to 2022 let's uh let's build on the positive momentum that we've
0: had to, to quote citizen kane merry christmas and a happy new year <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> It said very angrily in that film